0: Dear listener, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, if you live in the D.C. area, you're probably familiar with the Mormon Temple, the immense white and gold castle-like building that seems to rise from the trees just off of 495 in Kensington, Maryland. Originally completed in 1974, the temple is the site of ceremonies typically closed to anyone who isn't a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But after extensive renovations and a two-year delay due to the pandemic, this spring the temple has opened its doors to the public for a brief window before it is rededicated in August. Like many in this region, I've long had a fascination with the temple and was curious about what goes on inside. So when friends from the LDS Church initially let me know about plans for public tours back in 2020, I was very excited to be among the first to visit. Throw in a pandemic, and finally two years later, the tours were on. And let me tell you that the wait was worth it. The logistics for moving hundreds, if not thousands, of visitors daily through the temple was like the temple itself, seemingly spotless and organized to the very last inch. I learned so much about the history of the Latter-day Saint community, and in particular, the rites and rituals to take place in the temple itself. If you're interested in visiting the LDS Temple, dear listener, I highly encourage you to take up this once-in-a-generation opportunity. Full details are at dctemple.org. Although I wasn't allowed to record inside the temple, I did arrange an interview afterwards with Melanie Colton, a member of the powerhouse communications team that helped keep the immense operation and schedule on track. Here's my conversation with Melanie. It's been a a beautiful spring week, and I can see that as people, myself included, as we're pulling through the gates and coming in and we're greeted by all of these smiling faces of people who are just really joyful in their welcome to everybody that's coming through the door. Um, it's hard not to be happy. (laughs)
1: It's hard we love this place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely feels like like the community is excited and and has been anticipating for a long time that the the public is is able to come. And, um, you know, I think recently um, my family bought a a house and and one of the things that we're thinking of as we've been fixing it up and, and getting it ready is that we're so excited to have people come over and visit. And it sort of has that energy to it as well, that folks are saying, okay, it's spring, we're taking our masks off, we're opening the doors to the world here.
1: We've waited a long time to open it. We anticipated doing this a few years ago. And yes, it is a place we love, and it's a a sacred place to us, but this is a rare opportunity we can open the doors and invite the world in.
0: Tell me a little bit about where we are and what is the significance of this space that we're, we're in to the Latter-day Saint community?
1: So the DC temple is a unique house of worship. It's not the one we go to every week for our, our more frequent services, but um, we have special ceremonies, um, covenants that we make. We come for a time of reflection. It's kind of a way to step away from the world. I, my favorite part of the temple is the interior um, where you go for a time to ponder, pray, reflect. It's quiet. No one talks in there. Um, and I used to work at the temple for years and I always marveled at the transformation in people's faces and their mm-hmm. gait as they would come into this room and feel better, feel lighter when they left.
0: So tell me a little, a little bit about your connection to the place. You have a family connection to it.
1: Yes, about 25 years ago, my mother and father-in-law were in charge of the temple. They were leading it for about three years, Sterling and Eleanor Colton. I loved them so much, I lived next door to them. So they were <laughs> remarkable people. Uh-huh. They both passed away recently. And I am sure they're just thrilled that we're doing this work, that we're opening this place. They loved it. They came every day and loved serving and meeting people in the temple. And then I have cousins who recently had that same position, running the temple, Ket and Catherine Colton.
0: And so when you say running the temple, What is that? What does that mean in terms of a a day to day? You know, sometimes you think of like a a custodian for a place or or a caretaker of a property. But this is a huge facility. So how do you have just one pair of people be the caretakers? It's a
1: full time job. It's a full time job for three years. Um, And they have a team of people, many volunteers that they work with and that Love coming.
0: Can you give us a little bit of history? Uh, when was the temple originally built, and, and why is this rededication happening now? What does that mean for it to be rededicated?
1: It's been 50 years since the last dedication, and it needed work. The The building was tired and needed a lot of work. We needed um, HVAC, that beautiful stained glass wall that you see uh-huh. on the ends it was a little waterfall during a rainstorm. So <laughs> we, We had some structural issues.
0: (laughs) Not part of the art installation
2: piece.
1: Yeah, and I'm so glad they preserved that glass because it's spectacular. Mm -hmm. But that was a lot of work to update the building. And it it took a few years, and then COVID delayed the opening. So we're just thrilled it's finally happening.
0: So uh, the temple has has existed for 50 years here on the Beltway. it's hard to miss. Uh, it's it hard to miss but easy to confuse for, for something else. I remember as a as a child going to visit my family that, that lived um, some in Silver Spring and, and some over in Bethesda and Rockville. I'd be in sort of a, a, a half-awake state at the end of a long trip down from New Jersey and see, oh, th- there's the castle. You know, we're, we're almost there at grandma's or almost there at our cousin's oh, house. And
1: I'm glad that was a positive feeling you had. Usually it's when you hear there's traffic, but it, it is, it's a pretty building. It's fun to, and very often in the D.C. area, you don't see structures. You just see the woods, which are lovely. But it's interesting to have this
0: yeah well it has that magical quality because it's rising out of the out of the forest and there isn't anything else around it there's nothing else uh competing with the with the view so um so who you you said earlier that um for members of the lds church the latter-day saints church that people um are, are are coming here not for their every week or uh, everyday uh, worship, like you would at a at a, a local church community. Um, tell us a little bit about what is the the function of this temple and and the many other temples that the LDS community has all around the world.
1: Um, so marriages are performed here. Families with children are sealed together for the eternities, um, and then. There's a process after you've been baptized in the church where you want to seek to make more covenants, and this is the next step. You come here and you make those promises. And then you usually want to come back and renew those covenants. Mm. So it's an ongoing process. It's, I would say on average, most of us come once every month or two. Mm.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things that was fascinating to learn about on the tour that I took. I assumed that, first of all, I, having never been inside because um, members of the general public, if you're not uh, an active member of the church in good standing, you're not um, allowed into the temple. It's a sacred area. It's a private area for members of the church. So because it doesn't have any windows, there's no real indication or at least the windows are very small. You can't see them from a distance. There's no indication of what it looks like on the inside. And I assumed walking in the front door that it was actually going to be more like a cathedral experience where you walk into a big open area. But I was surprised to find, um, you know, spoiler alert for anybody listening, um, that it's actually many, many different rooms um, for these different rites and rituals and so forth. So. Um, I wanted to, to to first just understand how oh well so the thing that I I was also surprised to find out is that you're not just coming here for a special occasion like a wedding it is always a special occasion I imagine if you're coming to visit but it's not just for those you know once in a lifetime events like a wedding but it might be um, uh, because you want to you know, say prayers for your ancestors or or to meditate on on a on a particular difficulty that you're having and, and go through that experience in a spiritual place. Um, so I was curious, how do how do folks how do you know that that folks are members of of the community if they walk to the front door and they say, Hi, I'd like to, to come pray here.
1: So we speak to our clergy before we come and we get a little card called a recommend. Oh our clergy signs and that means we said we'll honor those promises and live a life that keeps us clean and that's how we enter.
0: Got it. So you get you have a little bit of like a hall pass to be able to hall visit. Pass.
1: That's a great term. I'm going to start using that.
0: <laughs> you present your hall pass. I love that. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you got your uh, you, you got a couple of punches in your coupon book, or
1: and you really said perfectly why people come. It, there there are many reasons. It, sometimes it's to honor our ancestors mm-hmm. and give them the opportunity we have had. Um, sometimes it's to come and reflect.
0: So um, talking a little bit about some of the rituals that, that happen in there, one of the things that I was I was curious about was was the baptism. It felt like that was sort of the most elaborate ceremony that um, that somebody who's not part of the LDS community, um, well, we weren't witnessing a baptism, but we were able to enter the space where a baptism happens. And there's a um, there's a pool. Um, they're men and women's quarters where they I guess get changed and enter into it and then they and then the pool and could you describe what what the what that room looks like what the pool looks like because I thought that the the font, yeah font. the font yeah thank you the
1: baptismal font sitting on the 12 oxen mm. three facing in each direction north south east west there's a Rumor buzzing that Dan the ox had an injury and had to be repaired oh. upon installation. <laughs> they all have
0: names, all the oxen. Yeah, they do. <laughs>
3: um,
1: yeah, we're very proud of those oxen that uphold the baptismal fonts. Now, we have fonts in our chapels where we do most of the baptisms that are not that elaborate, they're just simple. But this is a symbolic, um, this is the first step that people take in their covenant path. Is the baptism, and so we we have tried to make that very special.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so there's a baptism by water, mm-hmm. which is which is a bit more straightforward. You get a dip in the pool, mm-hmm. and then the other part that was mentioned was a baptism by fire. Now, is that the hair dryer that you get after when you get out? Oh,
1: wait, that's a good question. <laughs> it's probably a strange term. Um, they then receive what we call the Spirit. Of the Holy Ghost, okay. and that is a, a blessing that's bestowed upon the person who's just been baptized.
0: Got it. Got it. So it's it's more of a a, uh, um, a personal spiritual experience. Is is the idea of the fire? So
1: we clean. We're clean. We have our sins washed away, and then we're given the Spirit of the Holy Ghost so that we can discern right from wrong. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm.
1: That's right. the baptism by fire. Got it. <laughs> it's not so much no, no, no fire involved
0: okay like they did <laughs> our tour guide pointed us over and said and that's where the baptism by fire happens and, and i said I, I don't understand is it a steam room is it that term. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> there are also um marriage and wedding ceremonies that happen in there and um we saw that that for those ceremonies there's actually for all the ceremonies i think there's a a very simple garment that you wear uh, um Uh, I think it's called a temple dress for the women. I don't know what the men actually wear.
1: Uh, They wear a lovely polyester white pant that (laughs) is hard to find on Amazon. I thought
0: that was the 70s coming back again.
1: There's still a holdout. Um, Yeah, so this clothing is is very simple and we all dress alike. Mm -hmm. So we take off our fancy frocks and we wear these simple white Dresses or slacks and shirt, and you can't tell who's who. I love it because we're not, none of us are distinguished by our dress. Mm.
0: How interesting. It's, it, it's reminiscent of um, going on Hajj for Muslims to Mecca, mm-hmm. that everyone, no matter what their social status or station is, is dressed in a simple white garment.
1: Right. I, I think it's to remind us that we're all alike unto God
0: we talked about baptism, we talked about wedding ceremony, you mentioned sealing, could you talk about that?
1: So there's a progression, they they are done in order. The baptism okay. is the first and and then there's what we call the instruction room. That was on the third floor, and that's where most of the promises are made. I like to call it the covenant room. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I made my promises. Um, and then after that is when you go into this room i talked about called the celestial room that's quiet mm. and a time for reflection and prayer after that after you've done those covenants promises
0: and these are promises with you and god yes it's a, it's a private thing
1: things things like i promised to be nice and
0: Pretty simple. It's got a baseline. They're
1: so simple, but hard. (laughs) um, And I have to make them again and again. Uh, Promise not to speak poorly of people. Uh, Promises to be supportive and sustain those that are trying to serve. Promise to give of our own talents and time, Mm. and support the kingdom of God. Um, So we promise that we will do those things and. And we have to re-promise, mm. often. That, and hence
0: the, the visits, the multiple that's, that's visits.
1: That's why I go back. Mm-hmm. I feel like I need to promise again to be nice. And,
0: and are, are these individual experiences, or are you, is this facilitated by uh, a leader in, in, in yeah, some way? Is it done as a group?
1: A film, and then we pause to renew the covenants that we make. Uh-huh. Um, so we're, they're being spoken, and it's very specific what these promises are. Um and then so,
0: it so would you say it's a liturgy or something that's being followed yeah, through I or a script? It's
1: interesting because our worship services in the in our churches are very freeform. Mm. People say anything. They we have open mic night, I call it. It's it's like a testimony <laughs> meeting Sunday and you voice. never know who's gonna stand up and uh-huh. say what they're feeling. Uh-huh. And so it's kind of uh very free flow and then you come to the temple where everything's much more Kind of anciently based, and mm. there is set wording and a, a process that doesn't change so it's it's not open mic in any form mm-hmm. um, and you hear the same words over and over again oh
0: well wow. so there that you mentioned a film that's shown, and that that was a part that surprised me a little bit the most that I mean interesting that in this modern. Audiovisual visual era, that we're taking, um, taking advantage of technology. Prior to that, I heard that the scenes or what's being described mostly were actually acted out.
1: It's the creation is mostly what's acted out, okay. so the story of Adam and Eve. And it used to be acted out by live actors. Wow. Yeah.
0: Good, were they good actors? Were they SAG actors?
1: <laughs> Depended. <laughs> Not sure, there'd be any awards, but
0: they got the job. were they hired from the local theater population or was it all LDS members?
1: They were not hired, so that would tell you something. But I have seen talent, I have seen talent on the stage, so
0: somebody really took that as their moment to that's shine. Right. That's right, <laughs> man. I would have paid money to see that. That's that's wild. Dear listener, we've already talked about the rituals that go on inside the LDS temple, but I was also fascinated to learn about the space itself and how the project was approached both from a spiritual and an artistic lens. Luckily, I was also able to catch up with Emily Utt, a historic sites curator for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here's Emily.
2: My role is preservation. So I've been involved in this project since almost 2013. Understanding the history of the building and then helping our architects also understand the history of the building. So I've been here from the beginning and the goal of what I try to do is help us understand why these historic buildings are so powerful and so significant and then translate that into the design work that we're doing now.
0: Great. So why are these buildings so powerful and significant?
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, I lead my own question. Uh, Great job. So, this, I mean, everyone in D.C. knows this building. You come around that beltway and this building is just right there. But for Latter-day Saints, this is a sacred place. This is that little bit of line where heaven and earth get blurred. Mm. And when I go into the temple, I, go, I walk under a sign that says, the house of God, the house of the Lord. And we take that literally. We are entering His presence. And so this temple is so significant because I, it means I get to step back from my world, the, the rush of life, and commune with God and focus on what matters for me.
0: Were you familiar with the building before the renovations? Tell me a little bit about uh, about what it felt like stepping into that building yeah. before it was renovated.
2: So the temple has always been a sacred place. It was finished in 1974, and by the time we hit the project now, it was beautiful and serene and quiet, but it was a little worn out. Hmm. The mechanical system was 15 years old, so that means the air conditioning was 50 years old, and some of the the furniture was getting a little bit old, and so what we really wanted to do was make sure that this building really did feel holy. We wanted it to meet the expectations we have in our in our hearts for how we treat sacred spaces. So we, as a project team, really tried to focus on what would make this building feel holy, and what would respect that original design from the 1970s.
0: So speaking of the 70s, I heard that there were some rooms that had shag carpet and were bright pink tile and bright blue tile, can you confirm that rumor?
2: <laughs> I can, so there was royal blue shag carpet in a couple of rooms of this building. The bathrooms were pink for girls, blue for boys.
0: Pretty on, on, pretty, on the nose.
2: Pretty on the nose, and then the celestial room, one of the holiest rooms in the building had peach carpet in it in the wow. 1970s. Wow. And that's awesome for the 70s, but <laughs> that's not quite where we are today, so uh-huh. we, we kind of kept some of those same themes. You'll notice there's a lot of blues in the building. So we kept the ideal of that 70s theme. But I hope we tried to make it feel a little more contemporary, a little more current. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, How would you describe the architectural style of, of the building? Is there sort of a, a design style that you look to yeah.
2: for inspiration? Um, so. I'm not a style guru as an architectural historian, and that, I know there's going to be people that are just annoyed at me. Um, but I would consider this building kind of um, new formalist, new romanticist. Okay. So it has some traditional nods. There's Gothic arches and things. So it, it feels stately and elegant, but it is very much a modern building. Mm-hmm. So this building on our design process, we t- coined the term, I don't think anyone else uses it, of modern Gothic. Mm-hmm. So, it's the best of 70s design. <laughs> it, trust me, when you walk in, there are a few really good details in this building. So it's the best of 70s, but with a little bit of nod to historic, so it feels timeless yeah. and ageless.
0: One, one of the things that, um, as my wife and I were, were coming through here on our tour, um, we saw the artwork. And we saw that there were a few commissioned pieces that were um, specific to the site, um, um, beautiful murals and, and um, paintings. And then there was it seemed like as you move through the building, there were a number of pieces that were um, probably reproductions. And, and I was curious about where where does that art come from, uh, come from and, and how does that um, Get selected for those places.
2: That's a really great question about art. That's the art's one of my favorite themes in the building. When we so there are about 200 paintings in this building. 11 of them are original to this temple and unique to this temple. The other, what is that, 190 or so, um, come from a central catalog that the church has of art. And oh, when, there's
0: literally a catalog yeah. to choose from.
2: <laughs> but what we try to do is select art that feels representative of that area. Yeah. So um, a lot of the church's early important events in our history took place in this region. So you'll see as you move through the temple a lot of art that represents those historical events. But we also try to pick art that represents the cultural diversity of the people within this area. Mm. So there is a lot of diversity in the artwork mm-hmm. representing talking... people from almost every cultural background on on the planet, right. because we acknowledge that this temple is a gathering place for a global church. And some of those paintings are some of my favorite.
0: Is that a new feature? My wife actually was, was commenting on that, um, wondering... If the depictions of people in in that literal, it's sort of literal literalist, right? And in, in 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 terms of, um, it's not abstract art. It's not um, um, even impressionistic in in its painting style. It's it's pretty photorealistic, you could say. Um, but were the faces and the and the diversity that you're talking about as, as being featured now, was that consistent before or is that also an update?
2: That's an update. Um, when the temple was, you know, the 70s were a very different world. Um, the church has been really focusing on our art collection and our art curation in the last decade to really be more diverse. Mm-hmm. And so we have, um, our art team is really working hard to find artists of diverse backgrounds from countries that across the world, and then finding figural representations of all of us. And the idea really is that when we come to the temple, we want to see ourselves in the temple. And so when you walk in and you see people from every cultural background interacting with Jesus Christ, it's supposed to remind us that we are all His, we are all one, and it's very, very intentional. And we're working very hard to even be better at it than we are.
0: Now, uh, because it's so photorealistic, I can imagine that you could probably identify some of the people that sat for some of these portraits. Do you happen to know any of the people that were in, that are featured in there?
2: <laughs> so I don't, but I do know that a lot of the artists will use their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine if I walked through this temple with people that lived in the neighborhood of those artists, they would, I would see the people I know. I know um, some of the artists will use their children, uh-huh. they'll use their spouses, they'll use the kid next door. And it must
0: be such a trip to walk into this sacred temple space and see somebody that you know.
2: Yeah, and what, which is also great because especially the reproductions, that same painting might be in Fiji or Ghana mm. or Hong Kong. So you could go anywhere in the world and literally see yourself in the temple. I, It would just be amazing to be able to do something like that.
0: Yeah, I didn't think about that, that idea of it as, yeah. as well, that you would have that experience okay. if you visited other places. Yeah. Very cool. Like many people um, who who grew up familiar with the area, grew up sort of seeing the temple at a distance and, and never actually approaching it. You have this barrier of the, of the forest, it seems mm-hmm. like this castle rising out of the trees and so forth, and had really no sense of what it was like on the inside. Um, I assumed that it was some sort of a cathedral experience, that it was much more open, um, but actually, it's, it's quite functional in the way that it's laid out. It has a spiritual function, but, you know, there's, there's a, a it's sort of a utility to the space as well because each of the rooms has a certain rite or ritual that happens there.
2: Yeah, that's a really great observation. I think most people come to a temple expecting a cathedral, a huge congregational space for a thousand people, and the temple is not that at all. The rituals that take place in temples are intimate. They're small. They happen in very small groups. You won't ever have a group of people bigger than 80 in this building. Mm. And so the floor plan is really reflective of that kind of personal experience we want people to have with God. Mm -hmm. Um, It's quiet. You move from small room to small room and it's extremely functional. There is no grand, huge, vaulted space in the building. But even the biggest rooms, like the celestial room of the temple, is a relatively small room, but it feels grand mm-hmm. when you're in that space.
0: And this is a bit of a different experience because there are so many people that are moving through here at a, at, um, at quite a fast clip, and, and, and in, in groups of 20 or so um, every, I don't know what it is, every 15 minutes, every half an hour or something. Um, So I assume there are many more people that are in the temple space, and therefore it's a lot noisier than it probably is on on a regular basis. Is that right?
2: It is a lot noisier than it is um, normally when a temple is dedicated. We, as when we are in the temple doing the sacred work, we are very quiet. It is, um, and you move, I find myself moving slower. Mm -hmm. I, I calm down a little bit when I get in the temple. Um, we usually whisper when we're in here, except like in the offices doing the paperwork mm-hmm. and things, but it is intentionally quiet and calm and still. And so, um, the, about the only moment in the temple right now on the open houses where you'll have that experience is in the celestial room where we invite you to come and sit and no one speaks for those few minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the temple feels like for me after it's opened everywhere.
0: Is, is, is your office in the temple? Is that what you're saying?
2: No, so there are offices in the temple where oh, they really? do the paperwork, the yeah. administration side of temple management. So there's actually th-
0: in the temple. In the temple, do they have to wear white booties on their shoes when they go to work every day?
2: <laughs> so after a temple is dedicated, you <laughs> joke, but after a temple is dedicated, everyone who enters the temple wears white. So the custodial wow. staff wears okay. white, the visitors wear white, and it's and it's a really wonderful equalizer uh-huh. when you're in that space. Yeah so, and, and it's it's kind of fun as somebody who works on temples for a living, I have white clothing in my office to go to work in. Mm. And it's kind of fun to be able to walk into a temple and change my clothing. And then go up and make sure the the, Baptist, the, the baptismal font isn't leaking or to climb <laughs> up and, and fix get your something. On, yeah f- you know get something on the from the roof and mm-hmm. you're in white clothing and then you walk back down the hall and then the the patron who has just done this incredibly sacred ritual is also in white it's really cool
0: so when things need to be repainted the painting crew is already dressed for work anyway because exactly. they've got their white Dungarees on, or whatever.
2: Yeah, actually, when I had to go find white clothes for work, I, I bought painting overalls. So yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you that the thing that that caught me off guard, admittedly, was um, walking through. As you said, you know, everything, um, pretty straightforward in terms of the design, mm-hmm. pretty minimalist, mm-hmm. um, very elegant. Um, like you said, sort of quiet, and I, I felt like that that quietude, that softness. Um, permeated through the place um, and then we were led downstairs and um, into the baptismal room and the font itself all of a sudden has these huge oxen at the base of this big pool and, and that was something that caught me off yeah. guard to say oh whoa there's a left turn with the, with mm-hmm. the architectural style yeah. there as well.
2: So it's funny because the oxen are actually one of my favorite parts in temples. Um, they, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel um and i like to name them i like to go oh that one i think that one's Naphtali, and i think that one's dan <laughs> um and I, I just i and i and love it because every temple has oxen but all the oxen are different in and the temples oh and the you different, mean they're not
0: made from like the same they, mold yeah, or something yeah they're they're
2: different, styles, they're different styles or different materials mm-hmm. um there is a temple in idaho that has um nickel like silver metal oh
0: i thought oxen. you were going to say potato they were made of uh, yeah, up. yeah. <laughs>
2: that would be delicious. But no, and and then there's a a temple in Arizona that has terracotta Mm. oxen. Wow! And so I I love to go into those rooms and see just how diverse even the oxen sets are. Yeah, but it is a little unusual, um, but the oxen are um, actually based on an Old Testament idea. When Solomon's temple was built, their font was on the back of 12 oxen. So Mm. we put oxen on ours kind of as a a nod to the ancient tradition,
0: and that's a carryover from the original building. Is that been consistent yeah. uh, that those that 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 the font and and the oxen are are original?
2: Yeah. So in this temple, the oxen that are here now are the original oxen. We restored those, attached the horns that had gotten a little oh. a little <laughs> broken over the time. Uh-huh. But every temple in the church has a baptismal font on twelve oxen, going oh. all the way back to the 1840s. Oh my goodness! When they were made out of wood. The first time wow, around,
0: those probably didn't last very long.
2: No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah.
0: Um, well, th- yeah. I mean, I think it's 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 really an, an incredible experience to be coming through here. You know, I think it's it's a marvel to be inside and, and to take advantage of this you know really once in a generation opportunity to to um, to see the space. And um, yeah, I'm just encouraging people to, to come and visit because I think you all have done an incredible job both with the restoration and the entire production of, of welcoming people here.
3: Thank
2: you so much. Yeah, the open house runs through June and so book a ticket. The tickets are actually for parking access so we don't overwhelm the neighborhood. Right. But come, come see it. Um, the doors are wide open for the first time in 50 years and then in August the doors will close again And we'll have to wait another 50 years. When we
0: reinstall that shag carpeting, when it comes back into vogue.
2: you know, who knows where we'll be in 50 years in design. (laughs) It'd be kind of fun.
0: (laughs) Dear listener, needless to say, our LDS friends are pretty excited to have folks come and visit the temple in Kensington. One of my close interfaith collaborators, Chase Kimball invited a handful of us on a guided tour last week. Kind of the LDS equivalent of cutting the line at Disneyland. Again, I wasn't able to record in the temple itself, but afterwards I asked a few of our crew to share their impressions of their experience.
4: So my name is Reverend Samantha Gonzalez Block, and I'm a Presbyterian minister. And I currently serve as the Christian spiritual leader at Interfaith Families Project of Greater Washington (IFFP).
0: How is it that you found yourself here today? Why? Why did you? Why were you interested to come?
4: So our good friend Miranda told us uh, that they were, that she was going to be coming and um, doing a tour with. Chase who was a member of the the, the, the Church of Latter Day. Jesus Christ, Latter Day Saints.
0: Fine. You guys, you guys rattled off your titles. You got <laughs> yeah. get that one too. <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh gosh. Uh, yeah. She told us that our that our friend Chase was going to be leading a tour, and we were really uh, just curious to, to come along, and we were excited about this opportunity to see a temple that we normally wouldn't get to see. We thought it was a li- once in a lifetime opportunity.
0: Was there a a misconception about LDS that? you were able to clear up today something that that maybe this educated you about something that you hadn't known or thought you knew but realized you got wrong? I
4: think there's a lot that I didn't know about the Mormon faith that I feel grateful to learn about today. Um, I especially enjoyed walking with Alicia um, because she uh, just shared a lot about how what her faith means to her. She shared about her mission experience. Um, She even talked a little bit about ways that she's felt like she's been able to step up in leadership in the church and um, that's been interesting to me just because I think I had my own perceptions of what that was like um, and so I was just grateful to hear from people living that faith um, and just deepen my understanding and appreciation um, and get a sense of their perspective around their tradition um, and I, I think I won't look at the Mormon faith in the same way thanks to this experience.
0: Nice. Um, any anything about the the temple itself, the architecture, the art inside? Um, any anything that that surprised you, that that delighted you?
4: Yeah, I was definitely surprised that there were no windows. Um, I was thinking there must be like a giant <laughs> skylight or something. Um, but rather, it really looks like the structure is sort of pointing upward and and directing people upward. But it actually inside the temple itself, and they said this was a choice that the uh, you know that they made for this particular temple to kind of um, not have windows but to have some beautiful stained glass and some really intentional architecture mm. um, I also was really taken by um, the the instructional room I think it's called mm. Here's the one. Yep. yeah yes right. so where um, the instruction room I was uh, I, I was not aware of um, of 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 that practice of coming and sort of being filled up and 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 you know re- Kind of make, making promises again and um, that was really interesting. I, I assumed that we were going to be walking into sort of a big sanctuary mm. and so everything was sort of different than I had anticipated um, and I liked the intimacy of those small rooms. I thought that was interesting, especially when you think about weddings. As, as ministers we do a lot of weddings and a lot of <laughs> grand big spaces and just to have a room for a wedding or to be so small and so intimate I thought it was really beautiful.
5: My name is Nadim. I am a member of the Washington DC Baha'i community. And why did you come here today? My dear friends um, who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, you got that out in one mouthful, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they um, are very dear to me and they consider this a very sacred place. And they had a very warm and, and loving invitation to share um, an experience. To, to witness um, their space of, of worship, and uh, I'm very touched and honored to be here.
0: So you you have an architectural background, right?
5: Um, I have a, a, I've done some architectural studies. Yes.
0: So what what's your what's your take on on the building as a as a student of architecture? Um, what was impressive to you?
5: Well, I think as our as our guide um, explained, um, my dear friend Chase, uh, it's a very uh, there's a sense of ascendance. So a lot of the, um, the spires, the, the uh, verticality of the building, also the experience of going through the space. As you enter, uh, it feels very grounded, the colors are dark, and as you ascend, even the, um, the glass uh, becomes lighter, the, um, uh, the sense of, you're, as you're walking up the stairs, you're also in brighter spaces, and once you get to a place which our guide described as the heart of the building, the, uh, the celestial room, It was sort of a a more of a soaring lofty uh, uh, connection towards God and and ascending towards God. So that was a very beautiful reflection of the building, um, of the spiritual experience and the building that that evokes that.
0: Anything stand out that was a a connection between LDS and Baha'i philosophy or approach to, to doing a temple?
5: Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the what's um, nearest to mind is our, our last experience, which was the ceiling uh, room. So this is the room where um, members of the, the church um, are married; they're wedded to each other, and oh, yeah. and it's uh, what's what's similar in, in the Baha'i tradition is that there this is a, a marriage is a, a a connection between two souls for eternity, and that was reflected in um, in the experience you have in the room where two people, two members of the church, are married. Uh, and that was sort of a beautiful right kind of uh, reflection that, that I had where you have these two mirrors that are facing each other. Um, and as the two, um, the bride and the groom are sitting at the altar, they see the reflection um, of the two. Of sort of opposite you, you see a mirror, kind of an infinity mirror experience, which is kind of super trippy and super cool, but also a very, <laughs> very beautiful um, reminder that you're kind of married for infinity, married for eternity.
3: So can you introduce yourself and, and like what your, uh, your tradition is? What's your affiliation? My name is Will Slack and I am a member at Calvary Baptist Church in downtown Washington, DC. And my mom is a Baptist and my dad is a Quaker. Oh, okay. Awesome. So somewhat of a, a intercultural, interfaith
0: community oh, of Oh, it the gets sorts. more
3: complicated. I was actually uh, baptized as a baby in the Presbyterian Church. Okay. Um, and in D.C. I've also gone to gatherings with Baha'is, and I'm part of a Jesuit group right now, uh, hanging out with a bunch of Catholics. And now you're hanging out with the LDS folks. Indeed, exactly, yes.
0: <laughs> So what, what, was, uh, what was your reason for coming here today? What, why did, were you
3: interested in coming to the LDS temple? So as a Baptist, we are very low church. We don't have big ritual spaces. We have a sanctuary and our one ritual space is a baptistry. And the experience of baptism is sacred, where we are walking from our changing rooms to that baptistry, but it's small. It's not very large. And I'm envious, I have spiritual envy, because I think there's something that's attractive about that. In the same way that I appreciate how in the Catholic Church you can find a common tradition everywhere. You can find ceiling rooms and baptismal fonts um and investors like these same things are everywhere and that is not how we operate and I I believe in the holiness of the local congregation but to be able to see this is special I went to the Philly open house and so it was nice to compare this church and this building with what Philadelphia has and kind of compare those two experiences so
0: you're on you're on a, a temple world tour where's the next stop where do you where are you going to get invited to it's next? it's
3: only when they have open houses so you <laughs> know what it's more it's more up to the folks in the lds church but i don't know i think i'm glad i'm really glad i saw the second one i'm glad i was able to go with this group especially um but i think it's important to see what other traditions have in terms of what they're offering because it helps us to understand what our own tradition is and the choices that we're making it for ourselves mm-hmm. um, i believe in the Holiness and the autonomy of the local church. And that means my church has a lot of options about what it it can do. And we don't want to just be limited to what our imagination was or what our childhood was. The world has a lot of wisdom to offer, and we have a lot of places that we can go and listen to that. And this is one of those places where I seek inspiration, as it were.
0: Dear listener, we've heard a bit about the ceremonies that happen inside the temple, the intentionality of the design of the spaces themselves, and what some visitors have to say about their experience. But I also wanted to discuss some of the misconceptions people outside the church have about what goes on inside the temple. For that, I return to Melanie Colton, a member of the temple communications team. One of the things about the temple, it's it's so prominent a building, but it's actually you got a a sense of mystery about it because the general public normally is not being allowed in. This is a special time, really a a once-in-a-generation time that we're able to come and visit during this rededication. What are some of the things that that you've heard from other people that they presume happen in the temple temple that might be a little bit off base?
1: I think the most cringe-worthy phrase I've heard is, and it's partly our fault we use the phrase, baptism for the dead. And that can seem offensive. We don't baptize dead people. uh
0: huh OK, got it, got it. They think you're actually taking That's corpses in awful. here.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Or even if we explain that it's by proxy, we don't want anyone to think that we are forcing this religion on anybody. We're very respectful. It's done for one's ancestors. It's at the request of the person who's doing it for their ancestors. Mm. Um, and it's an invitation. It's simply giving an invitation to those we feel who are in heaven waiting for this work to be done.
0: And so then talk a little bit more about that relationship with your, with your ancestors. So um, I, I think this is a perennial um, discussion or debate across Christianity. Um, or, or rather, with people who are non-Christian. Well, what happens if somebody dies and never heard the name Jesus, never knew about the teachings of Jesus? Are you saying that that person was not "quote-unquote" saved? You know, went to hell, what have you? But it's an interesting idea that the LDS tradition has developed to um, to incorporate ancestors into that. Into that. So, can you explain what the LDS philosophy is on on these? Um, you were saying back to baptism by proxy.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's twofold. I think one of the purposes is to do this work so that we go back and renew our own covenants and we turn our hearts towards those who have gone before us. And I think that's been a healthy practice for many people. It's amazing how you can live your life unaware of who came before you, what they sacrificed, what they endured. And that has been an interesting process to turn your heart towards those people, learn about them, maybe do this work for them. Mm. Um, And then I want to point out that sometimes people from around the world don't have a temple nearby. So they do work and they put it in this genealogical system. Mm. It's called family history. Um, And I can do work for someone I don't even know if their name is in that system.
0: They're in a database. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you, so that you works pick to somebody for someone to
1: someone anywhere whether they have access to a temple or not. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting what you're saying the reflection that you're having about them, the, the how it it invites us to think about our lineage, ultimately our connection to others whether they're part of our family or not. You said the phrase, you know, doing this work for those people you know, just thinking again about that greater connection that we have to history.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I married someone who comes from such a proud lineage.
0: Can you tell me about that a little
1: bit more? Well, it's just this incredible group of people who've done amazing things for their country and for the church. And I come from a family that did not.
0: I'm sure there was somebody special in your in your family history yeah, as well.
1: That Brad has an ancestor that <clears throat> was the sheriff of a town where my ancestor was probably arrested by that <laughs> by that sheriff. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure. Other
0: sides of the law. He,
1: he ran with one of those gangs in in the West, and so. Um, but what I love is that as I've turned my heart towards the people who went before me, even though it's a sullied past. Um, I've learned things about them and appreciated what their struggles were and that they are loved by God, too. Mm. It's not just people who checked a lot of those boxes and did the right things. Right, 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 right.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, can you share any any things that you've learned uh, from investigating your own family history?
1: Just that I had one that ran with Butch Cassidy. So. <laughs> Te- maybe, by, maybe it was uh, a maybe it was a grandfather.
0: It was a teaching opportunity. <laughs> it
1: was a teaching opportunity. I used it to tell my children, "Don't steal." <laughs> it Came in very handy.
0: Your name will go down in infamy. Yes, yes. The spot that um, the tour ended for us—that um, I thought was really a lovely image and a representation of. Um, really maybe an encapsulation of LDS philosophy, theology, um, was in the um, room where the, where the marriage ceremony happens, where there are mirrors on either side, and um, the, the tour guide um, invited a, a couple, a married couple, an older married couple, to uh, stand at the altar that's there, and and to look at themselves in the mirror and describe what they see and um the, the, I mean the, they were they it was a couple that had been married for 50 years and and luckily they were still in love with each other cuz that, <laughs> that was very dangerous territory to to walk on just inviting people up without any script um and and you know they described how how uh how they were in love with each other and and that you know, they saw their partner as beautiful. And then um, our guide invited them to look past uh, themselves to describe what they see. And, and you saw the reflection. Uh, the couple saw your, their reflection extending infinitely in either direction in before and before and behind. And I thought that that was such an interesting symbol of our connection in this life. Um, both to our ancestors and to those descendants who are not yet with us and how that relates to to our, our spiritual experience.
1: And not to just focus on yourself. How much more you see when you're not just looking for yourself.
0: It was humbling and very empowering, right? Because, because it acknowledges I'm part of a line that connects all the way back and all the way into the future. I'm an important link in that chain, mm-hmm. and yet... This is something that I was I was reflecting on with with um, when we were talking about the importance of being in community, whether that's a faith community or otherwise, your personal issues and problems and shortcomings don't seem as big when you take it into the grand scope of history and the greater community, that that it's just one piece of a greater Piece. And the important part is just to do the work and, and be together in community.
1: That's beautiful. You were well taught. You, <laughs> you, you saw the optics and how it was explained. We love those mirrors. My father-in-law used to perform ceilings mm. in those rooms. And he loved pointing that out to newly married couples. Yeah, Focus on each other, and you'll see much more than if you just focus on yourself. Right, right. Right. And then the idea of looking before to those who came before and to look at what you're gonna leave behind. Yeah. A
0: beautiful lesson I think for anybody who comes to visit. If there's one thing that they're gonna learn from or, or experience yeah. being yeah. here.
1: Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah.
0: So what are what are your hopes for people who are coming to visit? You are, you're throwing open your doors, um everybody is uh is coming through you're gonna have thousands of people that are visiting yeah. through here. I-
1: I have a personal journey to this temple that isn't like a lot of people's. Um, I love how much more welcomed I feel because I don't come from the traditional past and and family. I came from a family with divorced parents and uh, we've had crooked paths and I love that I didn't feel any different. I felt welcomed in God's house. And I know that there is a understanding that most people aren't allowed in. And I, I always see God's love as reaching to everybody. And this has been really special for me to see everyone get to come in. And I hope they feel that.
0: I, I, you, you, teased it a little bit. I really want to hear a little bit more of your story. Can you share a little bit about your story? What is your connection to the LDS community? I and
1: up, I grew up in the church, um, but I we were we are a family church, and I was insecure at the time I was getting married that I didn't quite have the pedigree, or the, belonging. That I needed to have, and and it was solved when I came to the temple. I saw the bigger picture that this doesn't matter, that I could feel God's love. I was highly valued just like everyone else. Um, And I belonged.
0: Mm -hmm. Was that something you know a lot of times people struggle with those issues of perception um, you know whether it's, it's maybe anxiety that one creates within oneself about not feeling good enough or I mean frankly sometimes it's It's um, the community that you happen to be a part of also putting those pressures on you. I'm curious for you, what what was it?
1: Probably both of those. Mm -hmm. It was
0: something something that that folks in the community that you grew up in sort of made you feel less than it sounds like.
1: It might have been my own perception too. I don't really know. I was young and I had a certain understanding of where I belonged in that and I was wrong. And it was wonderful that this is the place where I healed from that, that I realized my value.
0: Was it a, a, a moment or was it a process?
1: It really was the moment I first went through the temple.
0: And which which temple was that?
1: I was in the Los Angeles temple. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. okay. I
0: think I've been there. That's near Beverly Hills. Am I right? Yeah. Is it that one? I, I've yeah. driven right by that. <laughs> yeah,
1: boy, you know your temples.
0: <laughs> it's, again, very prominent. Hard to miss it on like Rodeo Drive or whatever it is. I, right it now.
1: wasn't something someone said to me. It's something I knew, I felt.
0: And how old were you when that happened?
1: Twenty. I okay. was young. Yeah, yeah. And
0: and and you were married at that time, or were you getting you're getting married. Um, so how did that that process of going into that temple and and having that spiritual experience change the tra- trajectory of your life and your relationship to your faith?
1: Uh, it certainly impacts how I taught my children, how I speak of my faith to others, how I teach or lead when I'm in a certain job in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that I want to convey my understanding of the far and infinite reach of God's love. Mm-hmm. We were very uh, good at understanding the importance of commandments and living a covenant life, and that is important. But the bigger picture is we're all imperfect, and we all need to look at our lives, examine them, see how we can do better, but know that God's love is there for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Even if you're a bank robber or an outlaw.
1: Even if your grandpa <laughs> robbed a bank. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do think that you all are doing a wonderful job. I was I was saying to a new friend that I met at the temple the other day, we, we followed up by phone last night, and um, I just felt so happy being in this space. Again, the, the, the wonderful spring weather and all the flowers and everything um, didn't hurt. Um, so I definitely encourage people to come by while the weather's good <laughs> and everything's in bloom. Um, but I just thought, you know, the the presentation the the feeling of welcome, um, the embrace was just so genuine, and uh, I mean obviously I'm a sucker for this stuff and I I love learning about uh, different religious traditions. Very so knowledgeable.
1: I've been very impressed with your notes. You might do a tour. You can lead one. Yeah,
0: right. Okay, <laughs> you might lead people astray. <laughs> All of a sudden you've got a bunch of people hanging out in the hot tub. <laughs> yeah,
1: there you go. <laughs> The font. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this has been great. Thank you so much thank for, for taking some time I'll for it. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith Ish. I want to again thank my guests, Melanie Colton and Emily Utt, and Chase Kimball and Alicia Moulton for being great tour guides, as well as the whole team at the LDS Temple that's planning and organizing the tours. They're doing a superb job, and it's a marvel of logistics coordination to see them all at work. There's no telling how worn out those dedicated volunteers will be by the time we get to August, so I recommend you reserve your spot right away for this once-in-a-generation opportunity to tour the LDS Temple. You can find all the details at dctemple.org. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hovemeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listener, for spending your hour with us. If you're listening to this over at TacomaRadio.org, you can also find our archives of past shows, or check us out on your podcast aggregator of choice. We're on social media at Interfaith-ish, so keep writing us about the interfaith you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I N T E R F A I T H I S H at gmail.com. Interfaith Asia will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org.